what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films, our podcast here on the Mesh.tv podcast network, our podcast where my co-host and I get together and talk movies, movie reviews, movie news, and recommendations. Chris Fry, across the table from me. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing good. I'm excited that theaters are back open. I've been able to go see some movies there. It's it's good. Spring yeah. has come. Summer's coming. Like it's just it's it's awesome. They're opening up. Yes, it's, it's a nice time right now. That's Chris Fry. You just heard he is the co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. My name's Alan Jackson. I also have the co-title. Of the same things I just mentioned. So uh, Chris and I get together every couple of weeks and we review a couple of new films. And this episode, no exception, we're going to follow the same tried and true format here. We've got two films we'll be reviewing for you. First up will be the latest film, uh, Envisioning of a, of a Play by Lin-Manuel Miranda, turned into a film, is called In the Heights. And then we'll be discussing the latest Pixar film, Luca. After that, Chris and I both have some movie news items to share with one another that we're going to kind of get our reactions to and maybe some interesting films to be looking at down the road. And then we'll both end the show with a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out online that you can watch at home if you uh, missed it or just something maybe to go back and revisit. We're here to provide you with some great recommendations for the upcoming weekend. All right, Chris, we got a lot to cover, a lot of show to do. Let's go ahead and jump right into our first review, which will be In the Heights. Once upon a time, in a faraway land called Washington Heights. Say it so it doesn't disappear. Washington Heights! Lights up on Washington Heights up at the break of day. I wake up and I got this little punk I gotta chase away. Pop the grate at the crack of dawn, sing while I wipe down the awning. Hey, y'all, uh, good morning. Ice cold feet, agua, candy, strawberry, and just for today, I got my mate. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. The genius is back! Yo, here's your chance, ask her out right now. Hey! There's something on your shirt. We all had a sueñito, and when it came to dreams, we had to keep scraping by. Maybe this neighborhood's changing forever. Maybe tonight is our last night together, however. I just want to see the whole world through her eyes. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. It's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. This is the moment when you do better than me. Because you can see a future that I can. But we go, we wrap up people, and we go! You made all of this? This is me. They used to say, you work hard, you live by the rules, the money will come, the things will come. 
You ready? I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. Today's all we got, so we cannot stop. This is our block. In the heights, I hang my flag on this So, Chris, uh, you and I have known each other a long time. Yes. And uh, I typically know when you're really big on something that you've kind of uh, I've seen, you know, I'll take, for example, I mean, you, you, I'm not going to get you started on Bo Burnham's Inside. You already recommended that a couple weeks ago. But yeah. I, I know because our offices are right next to each other. You and I talk. And I know when there's something you're really excited about or big on. Sure. Um, Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton from, you know, the play from a couple of years ago that uh, became a huge sensation. Uh, the soundtrack, huge sensation. I know you are a big fan. Yes. I know you're a big fan of the play. I know you're a big fan of the soundtrack. Um, I'm pretty sure you were also a fan of the uh, filmed version that came out on Disney Plus as well during the pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, you you liked the live, obviously the original theatrical version performance. You didn't get the same from watching it on TV, but you still liked it. I yes. remember. Yeah. yeah, you thought it was a good representation of yes. the play overall. Mm -hmm. Okay. Am I safe saying you're a Lin Manuel Miranda fan? Yes. Yeah. You seem to be kind of in tune with like whatever he may be working on or some things that you have a little more interest when he's involved in a project. Sure. So here in, in the Heights, we actually have a film version of the Broadway musical. That was the one that Miranda was involved with before Hamilton. So this is the pre Hamilton Miranda. Uh, and we have, you know, obviously music written by Miranda. Mm -hmm. um, the, the play was written by Miranda and put on by him and his production group. Uh, but now we have a film version coming out and it is directed by uh, John Chu, who uh, last did um, Crazy Rich Asians. Right. And that was a huge hit. Yes. And before that, he was just known for a lot of either music videos or action movies. I think he did like one of the G.I. Joe movies, if I remember correctly. <laughs> wow. And he did a Justin Bieber like documentary. So, okay. you know, he kind of had an interesting mixed uh, background. And then when he did Crazy Rich Asians, it was like big explosion. It was a, a big hit. Right. So now you've got this combination, Lin-Manuel Miranda and uh, John Chu coming together, making this film of In the Heights, which is a film that, oh, and I just lost the log line. Hold on. Let me pull it back up. Um, a sympathetic New York bodega owner saves every penny as he imagines and sings about a better life living in Washington, um, Washington Square, I believe, or Washington Heights. Washington Heights. Washington Heights. I should know that from the title of the movie. It's all right. And it's a musical. Yes. I, should, I guess I should have said that up front because uh, not everybody may be aware of that. Chris, with all this pedigree, with all this background information I've just thrown at you, I'm imagining a Chris Fry should like this film. However, I don't know because we haven't talked about it. Right. So that's what we're going to do right now. Chris, what did you think of In the Heights? Did it in any way measure up to what you expected from a Lin-Manuel Miranda production? Or did it leave you disappointed at all? So here's the thing. Um, you mentioned having seen Hamilton. I've seen both. The, I was fortunate enough to actually get to see a performance, you know, live on in a theater. And then I've seen like the recorded, you know, Disney Plus version. Um, and I remember thinking after seeing the Disney Plus version, oh, I liked it. But what I'm longing for is a movie of this, not just simply a recorded You were disappointed that it was just a recorded stage performance. Right. And it was cool from a historical perspective because I actually got to see Lin-Manuel do the part mm. of Alexander Hamilton because the, yeah. the version I saw did not have did Mr. Not Manuel. Have He'd already danced off to do other things. Um, so 
both were good, but I found the live recorded performance maybe a little stale just because it's so energetic in the theater. And I realized it can't translate. And it's cool to be able to see the people in the yeah. roles they originated. But it just kind of left me wanting like a theatrical or not a theatrical, but a filmed version that was right. just totally took advantage of being a film. Understood. So, and I remember talking after that, I knew this was in development and the Heights was in development. And I was curious about, I was like, okay, I bet I'm really going to like in the Heights because they're not just recording a right. play version. They're actually, you know, making a film. So this film, I liked moments and moments really worked for me. And overall I liked the film. But was I disappointed in some moments? Yes. But I don't think that's anything wrong with the direction, the acting, or actually like, you know, the script or anything. It just comes down to the fact I don't, the songs don't resonate for me as much as like, for example, the Hamilton songs do. Mm -hmm. um, so that leaves me just kind of like, uh, you know, just kind of blase about a lot of the songs. Some did really resonate. Um, for example, like you mentioned how I'm a fan of the Hamilton soundtrack. I am. I listen to it all the time in my office when I was working. In the Heights, when I knew this was coming out, I haven't seen the play version. So I listened, tried to listen to the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. The most engaging song for me was the very opening song sure. in the Heights. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I kind of listened to some of the others, but that was the one that really jumped out to me. And so in the film, as it opens up with that song, I'm like, okay, you know, how's this going to go? And it comes on and it works for me. I'm like, cool. But as the film went on, I I just felt, I don't know, the songs didn't really hit me. And in a musical, that's what you really want to walk away with is the songs are very impactful for me. Mm -hmm. I'm still humming and singing them later. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of cool visuals, but the songs themselves, you know, just simply the lyrics didn't stick with me. Um there were two other songs and, you know, we're talking about what a two hour musical, I think mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there were two other ones other than the, in the Heights. There was one where Nina sings the song breathe. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really well, um, well done. And then the one that I think a lot of people are talking about um, 96,000, where it's a, it's done at like a public pool in yes. Washington Heights. That one was pretty impressive just because of the sheer size of it mm -hmm. and how many people were involved. And it kind of hinted at kind of flashbacks to like the typical Hollywood musical back in the day yeah. where they would do the overhead crane shots <laughs> and all the people swimming in a pool. And like, and it reminded me of kind of how Hail Caesar, the Coen brothers movie also paid tribute to that, you yes. know? So I did like aspects of it, but overall maybe I was a little underwhelmed with some, just some of the music. So what was mm -hmm. your kind of your, some of your initial feelings? So, start the hate mail now okay. um i'm i'm not the biggest fan of hamilton okay i think it's okay and i see I, I i definitely respect hamilton and i respect everything that was done to put it together but i did not rush out to buy the soundtrack afterwards i i did not you know, you know I, I didn't find myself humming stuff afterwards it just it maybe was overhyped for me maybe Could it be. just wasn't on my wavelength i don't know but sure. i did not get quite the same excitement out of it so going into this i honestly was not looking forward to this wow i'll tell you i was just well okay. uh, let me tell you I, do we have a couple minutes can i go into a little background here uh, absolutely so i had a pretty rough weekend uh, i threw my back out so i was kind of oh. like laid out most i was helping my parents move into an apartment i had like a whole bunch of moving things going on backs hurting it was just kind of rough you know so last night 
I'm like getting ready to lay down. It's 930 at night. Oh, man. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie. Oh, my gosh. My family all said, okay, well, he'll be out in 10 minutes. Okay. We are, we're going to have to go check on <laughs> him to make sure. to yeah, how long We Alan know is. how long our dad is going to be awake for this. Um, so I was not already in a good spot. Did you make it this. through In the Heights, the opening number? Chris, I love this movie. I watched every single minute of it, eyes wide open, loved it. Huh. Now. The one criticism I have. Even though you're not the biggest Hamilton yeah. fan. Yeah, okay. I, the one criticism I wrote down to this morning thinking about this is, yeah, none of the songs are memorable. Okay. But I, I, I didn't look at it that way as mm. I want songs. I looked at I it you. almost like an opera where it's like mm. an opera. I don't really pick out songs. It's okay. like the whole thing weaves together this one musical piece to tell a story. Gotcha. That's how I looked at the movie and it worked for me in that regard. I love this. I okay. thought it was one of the most enjoyable film experiences I've had in a while. It was the energy was just off the charts. It was so great. I didn't really feel like there was a, a slow moment hmm. except when it was meant to be slow and it was okay. very impactful, but um, I don't know. It just totally worked for me and maybe going in with no expectations, maybe, you know, looking for something like you said, I wanted a true film version of a musical and this mm-hmm. is totally what that was. Um, and I loved all the performances. There's a couple in particular I thought were just really, really good. Okay. Um, Corey Hawkins plays uh, Benny. Benny. And Corey Hawkins is an actor I've seen in some other things. He's been in The Walking Dead. He was like one season of 24. He was like the Jack Bauer replacement, the hmm. Kiefer Sutherland replacement. Didn't go over too well. People didn't <laughs> like it. So he's done a lot of variety of things. So sure. when I saw him pop up on the screen, I'm like, huh, okay. And I thought he was amazing. He was just so full of life and just so uh, expressive in his performance. Uh, you know, really, really liked him. I thought the two lead females, uh, Leslie Grace as Nina and Melissa Barrera as Vanessa, were both really strong. And then Anthony Ramos as Gusnavi, um, mm-hmm. uh, the lead lead performer, the owner of the bodega shop. Also very engaging. That's the big thing I thought about the performances. They were all engaging. I liked all of them. I liked spending time with all of them. And even Jimmy Smith's as Nina's <laughs> father, I thought was really good. Yeah, I'm um, just a big idiot. I had no idea he could like sing. Oh, yeah. So. And he was, but he, also he acted. There was a couple yeah, of yeah. scenes where he really put in some good, good work. And uh, so overall, I had a great time with this film. I'm actually kind of excited to want to see it again. Oh, wow. Um, but you're right. None of the songs were memorable. Afterwards, I tried to think, what was a song that really stood out? I'm like, well, it wasn't one. But it's okay, because I just saw it as one giant musical piece. Well, and I'll know? admit something. Um, we did not review this film, because it came out way before we started Foot Candle Films, even though I think we've already passed like our 100th episode. I don't know how many. We've done a lot of episodes of this mm-hmm. show. We've been yeah. around for a while. But um, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton, Sweeney Todd. I remember you and I at the time were both still Tim Burton fans. He hadn't really jumped the shark. And we went mm. to see that together. It was close. <laughs> it was close. Close. There was he was maybe tra- already it, on the shark or getting ready. The, the ramp was there. A little bit, for sure. But um, he, Sweeney Todd came out and yeah. you we went to go see it and walked out. And I was just like, eh, and you're like, oh, I liked it. And I'm just like, it, it's something about it. And then I saw it a second time and it clicked. So yeah. something about. I don't know, something about musicals for me. I think a lot of times film versions, I have to see them more than once to really appreciate them. I like this one, but I'd be interested to see if a second viewing, it really yeah. kind of comes together. And it could be all about dispelling expectations. I think it's a little bit of that. I'm sure people who have seen the actual play 
in the Heights mm-hmm. and, and do like some of the certain scenes and moments. Prob- I, I'm sure there's going to be reservations about the film. Like they don't like the way it was, this was handled or this performance was not as strong. Me going in totally no, with no knowledge, no expectations, no knowledge of the music. I hadn't heard a single note of the music from this film. And it just all, all worked for me. I do want to call out, um, it always makes me a little nervous when musicals that are somewhat grounded reality try to dance into the fantasy scenes. Oh. And there are two fantasy scenes I, I can think of specifically. I liked them both. Now, uh, there's, it sounds one, like you, there's one that I really didn't like. I'm curious what the uh, other fantasy one you, is you're talking about. There's one towards the end of the film that I'll kind of mention here. Well, I just say one's on the side of a building. Yeah, that totally didn't work. Didn't work? No. Really? No. I thought it was great. No, I Actually, didn't like it. when it started, I thought, oh, gosh, here we go. They're going to try to pull a gimmicky scene out of this. And as I'm watching, I'm like, no, this is actually working for me. This actually was good. Okay, so it didn't work for you. Yeah. But what about the one with – um. Abuela Claudia. Oh, um, that worked. Okay. Yeah, kind yeah, of her, yeah. I'm just going to say dream sequence. Yes. That was really good. Actually, you know, I had mentioned the, the musical scenes that worked well for me. I said that in the Heights, Breathe, and the Nice 6000, I left out the subway number with the yeah. Abuela where she kind of talks about her life. Yes, that was that was really well. And I think because of how that one specifically was used and what yeah. was happening with that character. I think that's why it worked. The rest of the musical to me was so grounded. That's why the dancing on the side of the building didn't work. And was kind of like, it was kind of a left curve. Where yeah, it I was goes, like, uh, Whoa. yeah. And I, I feel a little bit of that. I mean, I think there were some moments. I mean, you could even say the pool thing is a little fantastical because right. it's like so, but it's big still grounded. It's still grounded. It's still grounded. Right. grounded. That's why when, when they started the, and I guess we're referring to a scene where two characters actually start dancing out on a catwalk and end up dancing on the side of a building. When it started, I kind of rolled my eyes thinking, yeah, this doesn't really fit. But then I actually found myself really enjoying the whole sequence. So. And I'll say from a technical standpoint mm-hmm. and from an acting standpoint, they may have to like dance and do everything. That was impressive. Yeah. But I guess just the the tone of it. The tone just, just didn't. It, just, it was didn't a little work. bit of a sharp curve yeah. compared to the rest of the film. No, I can get that. And I mean, yeah, most of the films grounded in reality, if you buy into the reality that an entire block of people just spontaneously start choreographed dancing <laughs> in the middle of the streets. You know, but um but you're right. But it still had that that reality grounded to it. So surprisingly, um, just because I'm surprised that I'm the one that's going to be sliding into some <laughs> negatives here. Yeah. I have some positives, but just because I like to Go finish ahead, on it. positives, yeah. I'm going to save those and I'm going to slide into the negatives. Um, for me, some of the negatives that I had. the And I'll try to keep, you know, for those who haven't seen the play or for those who haven't seen the movie, I'm going to try to keep things semi-vague just mm-hmm. so it doesn't ruin anything sure. for people. Because Alan and I don't like to spoil things for people. Um the guideposts or bookends of Oceanside, Oceanside yeah. bookends, um, those to me seemed forced and kind of a Disney-fying of the story being told. And at one point, um, a hand is tipped towards a twist, and it was undermining the twist seemingly on purpose. And that was confusing to me. I didn't really understand why mm-hmm. why they tipped it. I was like, huh. I mean, maybe they're just thinking, oh, the people that catch on to this will be really thrilled that they caught the twist. Like, but it seems so obvious and so I don't know, odd. So that I'll just leave that okay. there. Right. I, that I, didn't, it didn't bother me, but I, I can understand okay. where you're coming from. That yeah. didn't really work for those didn't work work for me. Um, I felt like pacing wise, and I guess this is a problem of the play. So it's not necessarily a problem of the movie, but just you know, it became the movie. So 
pacing wise, I felt like things really slowed down and lost momentum after the blackout. Um, in this in this story, the whole thing it's in New York City, and you know Washington Heights. And there's a heat wave happening and people are kind of enduring it. And they give you kind of a countdown to the blackout. And then, of course, eventually you get the blackout. After that point, I felt things were just kind of they just they took a while to resolve. And I was just like, OK, let's hmm. let's let's finish this out. I felt yeah. like the pacing was. Yeah. And um, then, you know, the last kind of negative dig I have, what we've already kind of talked about is a dance number between two people in the side of the building that just didn't work. And that yeah. comes towards the end of the film and that, mm -hmm. and that didn't work for me. So I've said the things that didn't work for me. What, I mean, I, you're much higher on this film. Sounds like than yeah, I am. Yeah. The only, the only thing I'll point out, I, I do think was a bit of a negative is uh, the movie does a great job of spending time with, you think it's going to be just one main character and his romantic interest, but it actually turns out there's a second couple who actually get almost equal screen time. But that second couple, the aforementioned dancing on the side of the building couple, um, <laughs> pretty much after that, they're gone. Hmm. And the whole resolution of the film, the whole ending focuses on the one couple. But yet I, we don't really get a sense of what happened with the other couple. And gotcha. I, I think that was disappointing. I mean, you, you have us spend half the film with this other couple. We get some mention of where they're going to be or what they're going to do, but we don't see or know that for sure although we get a very clear idea of what happens with the the other couple the bodega owner and and, and vanessa right um that's a little disappointing yeah uh, just i i was hoping it was going to be kind of a four person kind of resolution of a film and, and it turned out to just be two um that and you know like you said the songs i was hoping for some memorable songs that i could remember afterwards it, it just didn't happen but ultimately it didn't really bother me sure that's all i've got that's it Okay. I liked everything else about the film. So now we'll we'll, we'll bounce back to the positives because sure. overall I did like the film. Um, cinematography, set decoration, the choreography, the costuming, you know, all just just top notch. I'll tell you what, this John Chu guy mm -hmm. knows how to direct music. I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you what, I mean, it just yeah. even in that first opening sequence, starting out in the bodega and then spilling out into the street, it was just like wow okay this is good he's like he knows how to make music work on film so very although nice. i will say and i'd heard something about it prior to seeing it and there again you know just, just i think because it was kind of like the dancing on the building it was a little silly and it kind of took me by surprise the record scratch with the manhole cover um, oh. <laughs> that kind of tells yeah. like, really? Like that, yeah. that kind of took me a little, but you know, it's a playful moment and maybe yeah. that's the whole idea so that people know, like, we're not taking this too seriously. But that, I was kind of like, huh, <laughs> that, that took me a little bit by surprise, but, um, yeah, it was what it was. Um, I'll say something. So, you know, also positive note for me was I knew going in Anthony Ramos, like he was playing Usnavi. I know that's mm -hmm. the role that was originated by Lin-Manuel Miranda mm -hmm. and, because I don't really think about these things and because I hadn't seen the play, I was like, well, why doesn't Lin-Manuel, because, you know, he did this role, why isn't he doing mm -hmm. the Usnavi part? Well, it makes sense when I start watching it because, yeah, Usnavi is supposed to be younger yeah. and Lin-Manuel is not. So then I worried because I knew Lin-Manuel is in this thing. And I'm like, oh, is it going to be distracting that he's in it? Because the whole time you're like, oh, here's the guy who created everything, making like a, you know, a mugging in a cameo or whatever. I don't feel like he does. And I feel like it was a really cool thing of kind of passing the baton yeah. because he plays 
the Piragua like vendor guy who's also in the play. Yeah. And you know, he's funny. And, you know, people like that character in the play. And he kind of steals this, you know, show a little bit, but it's not so much that it detracts. And it was no. kind of a really cool, like, passing of the well, torch. He, he's, he's kind term. Of, he gets to play a little bit of a, a little bit more of a schlubby. He, he, he right. kind of plays against his, his, against his type. previous type a little yeah. bit as well, which I liked. I did like it. I was worried about that cameo or that performance as well. But when he actually appeared on screen, and especially when he had kind of his performance bit with a rival competitor, you know, I, that worked. I liked that a lot. Which... There's a nice post-credit scene that also kind of revisits that. There's um, a post-credit scene. Yeah, Chris, there's more of this that I get to go enjoy. Alan, I didn't. I, okay, it was like mid twelve thirty at night. Yeah, okay. I, I Fair credits enough. are hitting. I'm like, okay, good. I'm, I'm, I made it. I'm yeah. Done. So you need there is a there is a post-credit that. scene you need to see. I'll say also for those that are big Hamilton fans, um, so you have Lim Manuel in this. His rival in this. Uh, was also in In the Heights, mm-hmm. and he was playing a, He was playing the Benny character in the original okay. In the Heights play, and in Hamilton he played George Washington. Oh, okay. So great. it's kind of like an interesting insight there. Yeah. And of course, Anthony Ramos originally was in Hamilton as sure. well. So it's just kind of a neat, you know, behind the scenes thing for you know dorks, Hamilton dorks. But <laughs> overall, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I definitely would recommend a film to see. On the big screen, if you feel comfortable going to theaters, I would say yeah. that's definitely a place because with the sound and the huge, you know, oh, yeah. big dance numbers, it makes it um, awesome. So it did lag some for me, but ultimately I felt it delivered a good time. I, I If anything, I'm curious, um, you know, Steven Spielberg's working on a remake of West Side Story. Oh, man. Yeah, that's and, it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. after watching this and enjoying it as much as I did. Unfortunately, it did not do as well box office wise, which I think it was considered kind of a disappointment. Well, it was also released simultaneously on True. HBO. You know, so whether even though a lot of pundits say HBO Max didn't have any impact on theater performance, they still say it underperformed. I don't know. I'm just curious if you're Steven Spielberg and trying to finish up your West Side Story and you look at this and it's like the energy, the excitement, the the the, the vibrancy of this film. And now you're trying to redo a f- classic musical film. And this one underperformed with box office. I mean, I don't know. If I'm the studio heads over <laughs> Spielberg's version of West Side Story, I might be a little worried. Right See, now. for me, I, I was never – I've seen West Side Story. Yeah. I was never that big of a fan. When I heard yeah. he was redoing, I was like, really? I know. Um, and now after seeing this, yeah, I'm like, buddy, you've got your work cut out Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. <laughs> it's because, I mean, if anything, it either is going to be – in my eyes, it's either going to be seen as a pale comparison yeah. or to, to just – too old fashioned, too static, too, too, I don't know. It could just go any different directions. Yeah. I, uh, this for me set kind of a high bar on if you're going to put out a filmed musical. Um, well, you, you got to make it good now. So. so, not to digress too far as we close out this discussion, but it's interesting because both West Side Story is coming out before the end of the year and also Dear Evan Hansen oh, right. yeah, yeah. is coming out. True. So, you have all it like, you know, we had no musicals for a long time. They La La Land kind of opened the floodgates back up. Now here we go. Now it's musicals. Um, so, which I love musicals, so I'm all good for it. I yeah. like a good musical. Sure, I do think a musical can go off the rails pretty quick and be be not that great. Uh, but I love La La Land. Love this. Uh, anxious about the West Side Story, but not because <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to. And it. you've I'm seen just, the original, right? I have. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious how it's going to play today. 
That's, that's my big question with it. Um, in the Heights is very much a today film. You sure. Know, it's, it, it speaks to a lot of things. I mean, even some of the themes and topics brought up, uh, immigration and, and other things are all kind of hit on here. Mm-hmm. West Side Story is very, very much of its time story wise. Right. And I'm just, I'm curious how it's going to play in 2020s. Yeah. It'll be interesting. With Spielberg, who again, I like, I mean, I'm a fan of Spielberg, but I, I can't really say he's at his prime right now. So I'm just, Really curious how that's going to come together. So, sure. agreed. All right. Well, in the Heights, yeah, that was a surprising review. Yeah, yep. in the Heights may actually be one of my favorite film experiences this year so far. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm safe in saying that. I haven't gone back to look at my, all my ratings yet, but it's going to be up there. Okay, that's so good. Cool. Chris also recommends it. Yes, just not as highly. Uh, had some more uh, reservations about it, but it is available both in theaters right now and also on HBO Max. If you have HBO Max, I know it's not going to be available for a long time on HBO Max. I think you have a limited time period to right. see it. In the theaters, it'll just be depending on how well it does box office-wise for a while. So, okay. Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our second review. And it is the latest film by Pixar, the Walt Disney subsidiary, best known for films like Toy Story, The Incredibles, and so on. Uh, we have the film Luca. Wow, Luca, that was hard to watch. You, uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Today. Hmm? Hey, leave them alone. Hop on. Go start a club for losers. My name is Julia Marcovaldo. We underdogs have to look out for each other. What's under the dogs? <laughs> so Disney and Pixar, specifically Disney, um, has had kind of an interesting relationship with releasing movies as of the pandemic. They had. Mulan, which was supposed to come out in theaters and be a big deal. And instead, they released it on Disney Plus and it was premium. So even if you had Disney Plus, you had to kind of pay an extra like 20 bucks or something. Eventually, it did become just part of their service and you could see it for free. Next, they did Cruella, which they released as a premium as well on Disney Plus, but they did also release it in theaters. And then they've released Luca, which is exclusively on Disney Plus. And when that was announced, and it's, you know, out now on Disney Plus, when that was announced maybe a month or so ago, a lot of employees at Pixar were kind of ticked mm-hmm. because they're like, hey, hey, you know, we put all this time and effort into this movie and you're not going to give us the prestige yeah. of being released in a theater. You're just sure. going to throw us on Disney Plus. And they, you know, they're kind of <laughs> kind of a little hurt by that, especially because I guess Onward, which was a previous uh, Pixar release, kind of mm-hmm. ended up having to be. Would, did it maybe make it in theaters? I know it went on yeah, Disney Pixar Plus. Went, or, uh, Onward did go to theaters, but then it hurry was kind of yeah, rushed. It was right to, in okay. the midst of 
everything happening last March, April. There you, you know? go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we have Luca. Um, Alan and I have now both seen it. Mm-hmm. So, Alan, what what was your reactions with Luca? And do you feel like there was a reason maybe Disney just shuffled it off onto Disney Plus and didn't put the yeah. energy and effort behind putting it in the theater? Yeah, I, I do feel like there's a reason Disney decided to, to push this out the way it did. Okay. I think Luke is a really good movie. I enjoyed it. But it is, what's the uh, squid and the whale phrase uh, about a minor? Minor uh, Dickens. Yeah, yeah, this is minor Pixar. Got you. In my mind. Okay. It, it, I, I do think if it had gone out to theaters, it probably wouldn't have performed very well. I think if it had been a $20 upcharge on Disney+, Plus, I don't think it would have done very well. So I think Disney knew that they had a film that was a good film mm-hmm. people would like, but nobody's going to go rush out to see or pay $20 to watch. And I kind of agree with it. I do think it's a good film, but it it, it excelled in the ways that I think Pixar is good at excelling with good characters, very, very good animation, uh, great messages to their stories. But it was kind of slight, I mm. guess, is my biggest takeaway on it. It's just... At the end of the day, and I want to, I do want to kind of dance around the ending a little bit, sure. a little bit later without spoiling, but okay. I do feel like by the end, the film had decided it needed to put things into a perfect Pixar little snap puzzle hmm. ending. Okay. And I felt like it was a little forced. I felt like it wasn't authentic and it was disappointing at the end. Um, but for the most part, I did enjoy the film. There were a lot of moments of it I did like. But I do think it was a slight film that probably would have been a hard one to get an audience for. Hmm. That's my take on it. Chris, I'd like to hear your talks and we can go more So it's interesting because I hear what you're saying Mm -hmm. and I agree. But in a way, that's what made this so refreshing for me. And I really liked it. I like the fact that it was a little more like subtle. It was a little more a smaller film. For example, like I I did like the film uh, a pretty good amount. And I think what... And I'm trying to parse through why exactly, but I think if you look at things like Inside Out and Soul, okay, two very good Pixar movies, but they're just so heavy, you know, and like, you know, and you, big concept and big concept and you yeah. end up like, you know, getting teary out of and I yeah. liked Soul, you mm-hmm. know, and I liked Inside Out, but just something about a movie that's still not just goofy and dumb and silly, yeah. but has a point behind it, but it's not just so heavy. True. Um, no, you're right. I think something about that was just really refreshing to me. And, okay, you take that idea and you also don't have music involved. Yeah. And so that's kind of surprising to me. Like, I love Moana. I not mm-hmm. specifically, I love the songs, but it shouldn't be a okay. surprise to people based on what we just talked about within the Heights. Um, so for a Disney or a Pixar film to not have music mm-hmm. and to still kind of have the impact that this had on me without having to be a really heavy, heavy film – I found it really refreshing. Like I haven't really felt this way about a non-musical Disney movie since maybe like Finding Nemo mm-hmm. or Wall-E. Like it's it's been a while. The ones that I normally respond better to are like the musicals. Yeah. Um, and like Raya and the Last Dragon, which you and I didn't even review. Hmm. Um, that to me just there was so much going on. It felt kind of scattered and not really. Hmm. There were some memorable qualities to it, but this just really said, you know what? We're going to tell a pretty simple story. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to hit people over the head too much. And we hope people like it. And I just really, 
I'm kind of sad that it didn't get a theatrical release. I can see that maybe, okay, no pun intended, would have made as big a splash as yeah. maybe Disney had wanted well, it to. Well, I think that, and but, I think that's the whole thing. If you look at it from a business standpoint, this this is a hard sell because, like you said, it is a smaller movie. Sure. It's a not as grandiose. It's not as high concept. It's not as either. It doesn't go slapsticky silly, and it doesn't go overwrought sentimentality either. Right. It's it's just a nice film, and I think nice. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like they say about you know people when you're when you're the, dating as teenagers. Nobody no, really they wants were nice. the, the nice guy. You know, everybody <laughs> wants the bad boy or the, sure. the funny one or whatever. So to be the nice film uh, is not a great selling point. However, I agree with everything you said. Okay, I I love the characters in this film. I think Jacob Tremblay. He's a young actor. I've all I still really like ever mm-hmm. since he did Room. Sure, and really liked him in uh, what Bad Boys was that the one he <laughs> yes. was in or uh, was it Bad Boys? It's the one that's a group of kids, and I recommended but it on the show. What is that name of that film? I can't remember now that we're sitting. It's not here. Bad Boys. That's the uh, Martin Lawrence. That's the Martin Lawrence Smith thing. Film. But it's Bad Something. I think. Yeah, man, I'm blanking boy. on the name of it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he's a he's a really good young actor, and voice actor wise, he was great. Actually, I didn't even know it was him for the first few minutes. I had to look it up while the film was playing, and uh, really liked him. Jack Dylan Grazier as Alberto. Um, the friend he uh, he makes um, the whole first half of the film where the two of them are becoming friends is just wonderful. Such a nice, nice uh, part of the film. So the film is Good Boys. Oh, Good Boys. But it's a play because, of, yes, he, there we he's go. A good boy. That's right. Um, the whole first half of the film, the two of them becoming friends and their adventures on this little island were so great and so much fun. Um and then when they make it to the mainland at some point in the film, uh, here in the Italian Riviera, uh, they befriend uh, uh, Julia, yeah. played by Emma Berman, who I thought she was amazing. She was she great. Was really, really good. So the three of them played well together and just really captured this the spirit of three people becoming friends and finding a lot of similarities between themselves and enjoying the time around each other. Um when it got to the island and, and it kind of had to slip into a little bit of a plot, you know, you had to have kind of a, I won't say a villain, but someone to kind of be against. And, you know, that's when it started to get a little formulaic for mm. me. I said, oh, okay. I kind of was just digging this whole, it, it, there's a high concept in the film. We haven't even really mentioned. <laughs> sure. But I love the fact that Pixar doesn't even really spend any time on it. They're just like, yeah, okay. These, these two are sea monsters. Mm-hmm. They live under the sea. They're monsters. And when they come out of the water, they look like humans. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the trick. We're not going to explain it. We're not going to put any big mythology around it. We're nope. not going to try to. It just is. Just, that's just the way it works. Right. And so be it. And you kind of go with it. And you're like, okay, cool. I got it. So <laughs> they get well, water on them. They turn back into monsters. Mm-hmm. They get out of the water. They're human. Got it. <laughs> um, and so that's, uh, you know, that all worked for me. That was really, really good. It was a, it was a nice, enjoyable film. Um, I'll get to the ending in a bit. What, did you have more more positives? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I everything you've mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the voice acting and stuff, I really enjoyed um, the parents of mm-hmm. Luca, Maya Rudolph, and specifically Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan, yeah. I just, you know, and granted, he's just doing Jim Gaffigan, but mm-hmm. I love Jim Gaffigan's comedy. Mm-hmm. He's a comedian and his stand up, and yeah, I just, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was a nice touch. So, are you going to mention Sasha Baron Cohen though? Was he in this? Yes, he was. Oh. He was the uncle 
from the uh, from the deep. Was that who that was? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was that, see, I thought I didn't know that that was okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was him. Huh. Uh, oh yeah, I he, see. He's only in the film a couple of scenes, okay, but see, he is. I, I should have looked that up because when I was when I was watching the film, I, was, I made a I thought I made a mental note to go look that up because yeah, he's just like crazy. Yes. So that yeah, I see here in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. No, he that only was has amazing. like one scene, like I think in the film, and then he has a post credit scene. That did you watch that? Yes, okay. I think I did. Yeah, it's just just. That's the one moment where the film's like, okay, yeah, we're, let's go a little zany just for a couple yeah. moments with one character. But I thought he was hilarious. What's the so. thing he talks about eating? Um, I, I can't remember. Whale something or yeah, like, yeah, I can't. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I can't believe I didn't look that up. And so, yeah. so great though. You're right. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought all the performances were really good. And um, so did you have any, any misgivings at all on the film? Well, it sounds like you're about to bring one up. I'm curious yeah. as to what it is. Um you know, I think I've mentioned all the positives I've had and I did like the film. The one thing I will say, and it sounds stupid, and I don't know why it took me by surprise or something, but initially, the way the creatures looked underwater, mm-hmm. I was a little underwhelmed mm-hmm. with something. Something about it wasn't working. And I don't know, it's just not what I expected or it was a different yeah. style of animation that hadn't. They look like, uh, do you remember the sea monkeys? Yeah. From the and old back of the comic book uh, ads. You yeah. Know? And yeah. It just something about it was just like kind of goofy or something. It just, it, it bothered me. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. However, um, as the movie went on, it bothered me less. And I think specifically what I wasn't understanding at first was the way they morph when they turn human mm-hmm. and the way they did this like little shimmer effect. And then it kind of worked because I think the thing was the sea monsters do look kind of human-esque. And I think that it, it kind of helped the morph effect when they went human. So I think then it bothered me less of the how the character designed specifically of the sea monsters. But no, and that, like I say, I kind of, I warmed to it over time. So um, no, I uh, I don't have any negatives. I will say one other thing that um, I noticed after the film this director, which have we mentioned the director's name? Can't mm. remember. Uh, Enrico Casarosa. He has also done a Pixar short called La Luna, which was nominated oh, for an yeah. Oscar. That's good. And I went back, I'd seen it, but I'd forgotten it. And I went back and watched it after this film. And the father, there's a father in La Luna. And that father is also in Luca. Hmm. And he plays the father to Ju- the Julia character. Okay. Um, so it's interesting to see the parallels between La Luna and this film. So if you enjoyed this film, I'd recommend you going back and watching the short because there's some family dynamics and father, you know, father son type stuff going on that's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so what's well, your just, negative? Well, just think of the ending. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a whole sequence at a train station. Just kind of, and again, I'm not going to go into specifics of what's happening here or, or what's transpiring, but you basically have a, a single scene where all the all the directions, all the next phases of all the characters is kind of being decided and handled like boom, all in one shot. Okay. Character A, hey, you're going to go do this now. Okay. Oh wow, that changes everything. Okay. Character B, now you're going to go do this. Oh, okay, that changes everything again. And character C is going to be left doing this. Okay. And I didn't buy a lot of the reasons for why oh, totally the did. characters are now doing what they did. Totally did. Um, there's one character in particular. Uh, I'll just say Alberto that I don't understand why. I, I'm trying to do this without spoiling. I don't understand why he 
isn't going somewhere. And, and, and it's just, it just, it felt like it to me, Pixar's like, you know what? We got to have a little tug at the heartstrings moment. We got to have a little, yeah, they got to, they got to make a, a choice that's going to be kind of sad, but we got to have that kind of sad moment when we didn't have to have a sad moment. Like it could have been like continued to be a happy movie. It's like, I don't know. I felt like at that point it was like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta make, we gotta tug at the heartstrings here. We gotta make a real <laughs> dramatic moment. We don't have one yet. When they could have just gone for the happy moment, and it's like I don't know, I th- it just I think it just didn't work. I understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I think there was some development <sighs> that I saw. I guess kind of working threads being pulled or strings being pulled behind the scenes with this. Um, there's a you know they mention that. Uh, Alberto has some father issues, right? And I saw that I being that. De- I saw that being developed early on. So the resolution of that didn't really surprise it just me. All sudden, I, huh. I, I just seemed all again. It was all this in a five minute scene on a train platform. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is now going to happen. Oh, and this person's going to stay here. And this person's going to do this, and this person's going to leave. I'm like, hmm. oh, okay, well, that kind of sucks. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm kind of. <laughs> Kind of digging where this 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 triangle of people, these these three friends, are now are, are at their state in their life, and now you're shaking it up, which I feel like was just playing into a formula, which I didn't like. But okay. huh. that was my issue with that. I guess that's a com- compliment to the film for the rest of the film because I did enjoy yeah. these three main characters so much. I didn't like the idea of anything causing them to have a rift or gotcha. a split or any for any reason. Um, I also will say this too, and I don't know how much this picks up. I, I, I think the film could also have some interesting observations about the fact that the two main characters are both boys, and yes. I think developing a really, really, really tight relationship and friendship. Um, A.O. Scott from uh, the New York Times <laughs> wrote a review where he I called saw that. Calamari by your name, which I think. That's a funny, first off, it's a hilarious review title for this film. Um, but I also think it, with the colors of the sea monsters and the, the idea uh, that they had to kind of stay hidden from the rest of this community. Yeah, sure. The community kind of didn't accept them and then had to. There's a lot of allegories there I think were really well touched on. Could it have been even a little more uh, overt? Yes, I think it could have and been fine. Uh, I understand it's Disney and you kind of have to be a little trepidatious with with how, how far you go and exploring some of those themes. But um, I think the film could have gone a little farther if it wanted to. And I think, I think, I think viewers were ready for that and it would have been okay with that. But, um, overall I did like that. It was kind of exploring this idea of, I mean, they're both too young to say that there's any kind of romantic relationship that could be forming, but you see enough of that relationship to know that there was a really nice, strong bond between these two, two, two young men, which I think is always good to see. I explore that a little bit in the film as well. Sure. Yeah. So that is Luca. Uh, sounds like we're both positive on it. I, I just I had a few more misgivings, and I just uh, I wanted some different resolutions, and I did feel like it was a little on the slight side. But I think you found that to be part of its charm as a film yeah. is that it was a nice, more simple, slight film uh, from Pixar. Um, it is disappointing; more people won't see it. True, but again, I just think it would have been a hard sell uh, for a larger audience. So. Uh, but we do both say definitely check it out. If you have Disney Plus, it's a it's a great way to spend an hour and a half. Um, did it? I know we wa- both had to watch this at home because it's a Disney Plus film. Sure. Um, I know that when I get to the end of the film, 
where I think I'm getting close to the end. Sometimes the little I'll type the little cursor on my key on my on my remote to see how much time is left in the film. And uh, they've done this thing now, Disney Plus especially, where there's like almost ten minutes after the credits of like listing out all the translation services yeah. and different language credits. Yes, and it always throws me off because we got to this final scene, the whole train sequence I was telling you about, and I'm like. I did that little thing where I looked to see, and it's like, oh, it still says there's like 18 minutes left of this film. <laughs> and even with like six minutes of credits, that means there's still 10 minutes left. Right. I'm like, something else is going to happen. And then it's like, nope, the film's yeah. done. I'm like, oh. See, I think that may have gotten me as well, too. It's right. like, oh. Well, I was kind of hoping to see a little continuation yeah. of some things. But sure. Anyway, that is Luca on Disney+. Plus. I think uh, you know we're both giving it some positive reviews here. Definitely worth your time. So, Chris, let's go ahead and take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do some movie news, and we're also going to give our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Chris, before we go into our news items, just as a quick reminder to everybody, we do have the Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 22nd through the 26th. Did I get that right? Yes. That'll be happening in Hickory, North Carolina, Western North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. That'll be happening later this year. We're very excited. Uh, the films will be announced um, in mid to late July. Yes. And we'll be putting them up on the website. They'll be on social media. And we'll make sure uh, we make mentions of it here in this show as well up until the festival. But we hope you'll come join us. It'll be both an in-person festival as well as films will be available online for streaming inside the state of North Carolina. We do need to go ahead and kind of clarify that for anybody listening. Unfortunately, if you're outside of North Carolina, you would not be able to join us remotely but we would hope maybe uh, you're looking for a little road trip and want to come down to Hickory for the with the weekend. We would love to have you for the Foot Candle Film Festival. Visit FootCandleFilmFestival.com to stay up to date on information and uh, about the festival itself. Did I miss anything there, Chris? Are yep. we good with that? Uh, I think you got it. Okay, good. Let's go ahead and hit some movie news, Chris. And we have actually four things to cover. So let's go ahead and hit them. I'm going to start us off. Uh, this is in the this could be good category. Maybe. Okay. Uh, director Doug Lyman uh, may be familiar with him. I, I always like Doug Lyman just because he brought us the film Go, which is a film I love. And that was from many years ago. Since then, he's done a wide variety of different films. I think he did uh, one of the, at least one, if not more, of the Born Identity Born films. Movie, yeah. mm -hmm. um, made some other action movies and some other mixed films as well. So, uh, he made a presentation at the start of some of the can screenings uh, hmm. this past week talking about a new film that is getting started production on right now starring Ewan McGregor, Sam Hugan, which I'm, I'm not familiar with him as an actor and Mark Strong. Okay. And he is uh, labeling Mr. Mr. Lyman, the director sure. is obviously pitching this film sure. as the ultimate adventure film. <laughs> it's going to be a film called Everest, okay. which as you can imagine is about Mount Everest. So it's about the first attempt to climb Mount Everest back in 1921. Okay. So you have Ewan McGregor and Sam Hugan starring as two rivals. That true story, um, the intense rivalry between the driving obsession of English mountaineer George Mallory, played by McGregor, and the eccentric 
Aussie climber George Finch, played by Hugan. And then Strong plays the arrogant Arthur Hinks of the Royal Geographic Society, who selects Mallory to scale the mountain. Um, so according to Doug Lyman, again, this is all pitching sure. the film. So just sure. take this with a grain of salt, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, he says a lot of what he learns from doing the Bourne films about car chases and all that is, is <clears throat> knowing how to stage action and really trying to do incorporate that into Everest with the idea of scaling the mountain, trying to create a very visually interesting and thrilling experience. Um, so he's 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 high on the film. I mean, of course, he's the director. <laughs> he be, what, right? why, why wouldn't he be? Um, hmm. Even McGregor had some good things to say about overall the script and just what they're going to be doing. I am interested because I like Doug Lyman as a director for the most part. Most of his films I like. It sounds like an interesting story. Reminds me a little bit of what Ron Howard did with um, what was the film that had um, the rival um, uh, race car drivers, Rush. Rush. A right. little bit of that. Uh, you know, obviously the whole trope of two rival competitors based on a, a historical event. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can do a lot with mountain climbing. You can obviously do some very thrilling movies. I mean, Sylvester Stallone brought us Cliffhanger. <laughs> and if that wasn't proof enough that you can do some thrilling things with movie climbing mountains, uh, I say that in joke. I don't even think I saw Cliffhanger. I, so. I can see this movie being just like custom made for the big, huge Dolby theaters oh, yeah. with the IMAX, like Absolutely. all the shots and all the sound and everything. I can see that being a huge spectacle type movie so, so that's interesting. everest um they start shooting they don't start shooting till january so i mean okay. it's gonna be a while but you know just some early talks on it i think it sounds interesting and uh doug lyman is a climber himself oh really so you know you got that going for him okay and it's a little bit of wish fulfillment he said to kind of go back to this time period and, and recreate the first attempt to climb everest hmm. um so should be fun yeah. looking forward to that well that's something that so what makes me interesting? You talk about the people involved, the director, the actors. Yeah, so that you know, general interest there. Um, the fact that it's not just going to be an action movie, but it is. I mean, I'm sure the facts may be played a little loose sure. to make for good yeah. pacing in a film. But the fact that I feel like I'm educating myself a little mm -hmm. bit about something that happened in history, even though I'll probably afterwards have to find out what's true, what's not. Um, that makes me interested in it. So yeah, I'm curious about that one. All Sounds right. like it could be good. It could be good. All right, Chris, what have you got for us? What's your first item? So I guess we'll lodge this in also the category of sounds like it could be good. Okay. Um, although you may not think so at the outset because, Alan, what is your record with uh, not Rob Zombie, the musician, um, oh. but Rob Zombie, the director? Um, I'm batting zero on Mr. Zombie as a director. I don't think I've seen any Rob Zombie films. Okay. I don't think I have either. He did some Halloween remakes. He did The Devil's Rejects, mm -hmm. um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Corpses. Yeah. In general, I, I do see some horror movies, but they have to be like more artsy. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. As opposed to like straight out horror and bloody. Um, so what does have me interested and in things like this could be good because – Otherwise, I would never want to see this movie. Rob Zombie. Let me just okay. go ahead and read to you the post that he put on social sure. media on Instagram announcing okay. that he was going to what his next project, directing project was going to be. Attention, boils and ghouls instead of boys and girls. Boys and girls. Get, it? I get it? Clever. Yeah. Yeah. The rumors are true. My next film project will be the one I've been chasing for 20 years. The Monsters. 
Stay tuned for exciting details as things progress. So that's right. Heavy metal musician. He is going to direct a feature film based on the monsters, the 60s sitcom about a family of friendly monsters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rob Zombie is doing this. All right. But do we think it's going to be friendly monsters? Don't know. Don't care. Either either way, I think it could be absolutely amazing. All right. It could be. It could be good. Right. Or it could be trash. I mean, I'm just, (laughs) we don't know. But I said, that's the thing that like, if you told me anyway, like, you know, they've originally, they did the Adams family's movies, which I did like Adams Mm. family, but then they made a redid it and made an animated one recently, which I didn't bother seeing. And like, if you just told me in general, Hollywood's doing a monsters movie, I'd be why Mm -hmm. who cares? That's not interesting to me. You know, they're basically just trying to do another Adams family type movie. Um, but the fact that Rob Zombie, and he's a big fan and has been a bit, which you think of his aesthetic and everything he kind of does, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, but the fact that he's involved, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. All right, I'm well, curious. Color, color me curious as well. Okay. Uh, I'm still I'm, I'm holding out reservations because I actually remember when I heard that Rob Zombie was tapped to redo Halloween and okay. restart that. I actually thought that was going to be kind of interesting. And then I started hearing that, eh, no, it's not all that. And it's just a lot of... <laughs> Like over the top violence and violence. a lot more uh, gory. I, it wasn't my thing. So, uh, will he be respectful of the monsters, the grand tradition of the monsters, or will he kind of turn it on his ear? I don't know. It, it's interesting. I'll give you that. It's an interesting story. Be uh, kind of curious to watch and see where it goes. Uh, I mean, okay. Keep in mind, he had a song called Dragula, which was named after the monster's car. So, oh, he is a was. huge fan. He is a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Dracula is a good song, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Chris, I've got a very confusing news update. I don't, I'm just I – don't, I don't really know where to go with this. But okay. it's got one element of it that makes it interesting to me. We have talked ad nauseum over the past several months about the DC films. Yes. Comic films. Uh, Justice League, how we kind of liked the, the, the new version, uh, Zack Snyder's version. But we also just in general, you know, just the whole road that these films took to try to tell these stories was just all over the place and very hit or miss and doesn't seem to be a real plan in place on how they're going to use these characters and make interesting films out of them. Sure. Well, The Flash, who Ezra Miller played in Justice League, they have been talking about doing a solo Flash movie for quite some time. Okay. Actually, I think it's gone through like three or four different directors to work on it. And it was just part of this whole... Are they doing this or are they not? Are they going to make a big universe of superheroes or are they going to let everybody just do their own movie? We mm-hmm. don't know. Well, it sounds like it's finally happening that they are making a Flash movie. And I'm not terribly excited. I thought Ezra Miller was fine. I thought he was funny in Justice League and I, I like this character. But do I need a whole movie of, of his character? No, I don't really need that. Fair enough. And the director that they've kind of settled on. That well, that is, doesn't sound good. <laughs> is uh, Andy Machete who oh, did the it movies? The it movies. Mm-hmm. We liked the first one okay. Second one I did not like at all. No, and that's all I've really got to base him him on. I'm like, well, okay, that's not very encouraging either. So uh, we'll see. Hmm. Then I heard that the whole film was going to be dealing with multiple timelines and alternate universes, and I'm just like, ugh, my head's already just fogged over at this point. I'm like, nah, I'm not really interested in this at all. However, (laughs) 
they announced a little bit. Uh, it was a rumor a while back, but now it has been officially confirmed by some set photos. Those pesky oh, yes. people that like to take photos of, of the sets when they're filming. Mm-hmm. That because DC's The Flash movie will be dealing with alternate realities, that means that they're bringing in Michael Keaton as Batman will be appearing in the film. Oh, that's... Or at least as Bruce Wayne. Oh, that is... uh, So basically, you're going to have a film... That just seems like a cash grab. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I have to wonder if there's going to be other random versions of old superhero characters they try to bring into this too, just to kind of show this whole... I don't know. Again, my head is hurting even describing it. (laughs) But I've never been a fan of this whole alternate universes and jumping across. I was one of the people that, even though I liked into the spider verse, the Mm Spider-Man animated movie, I thought it was a very creative movie. The whole alternate timeline stuff just gives me a headache. I just, I really don't like dealing with it. So this, but I did like Michael Keaton as Batman and a chance to see him play Bruce Wayne on the screen again as an older Bruce Wayne is kind of intriguing. Hmm. So where this goes, I don't know. But Michael Keaton is going to be in a DC Comics movie as Batman, or at least as Bruce Wayne, once again, in the very near future. Hmm. Your other thoughts? So I watched the, I guess it's a CW series, The Flash. Um, I have not been loyal to it, but I think I watched the first two or three seasons. I did too. And um, watched it with my son. And he was familiar with the whole, I think it's called Flashpoint idea and plot line, which is what this sounds like kind of because Flash can run so fast, he can run so fast that he can get into a different reality, a different time stream and he can go back in time and he can kind of time travel by running so fast, essentially. Um, I thought it was interesting in the show but eventually it got kind of messy and they just kind of kept doing the same thing over and over again to me. And I kind of got bored of it, but originally it was an interesting idea. Um, so I guess, you know, it all depends on the script, I guess, and how it's handled. It could be just so confusing and mind blowing that you just tune out like you're saying, or I don't know, I kind of do like time travel stuff. So we'll, we'll have to see. I am. The Batman thing is, is curious. Um, I do like, you know, Michael Keaton. I did like him as Batman, but I can't help but think it's just a publicity stunt to get people interested that have otherwise written it off. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, I, absolutely. I'm, I mean, so. there's no denying it could be a lot more publicity driven, but sure. could it work? I, mean, I think Maybe. that's going to be the big question. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm, I, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be happy to see, you know, Michael Keaton wearing the Bruce Wayne tux or whatever he wears. I don't, sure. You know, I, I don't know if we'll see him in the bat suit or not. I mean, but it'd be kind of cool. He would be. Yeah. So we'll see. Cool. All right. So that's interesting. I'm not even going to label that as this could be good or what. I have no idea. But <laughs> right. we're just going to kind of wait. That's more about just wait and see. Sure. So just I got to start hearing some initial reactions on how that comes across. Okay. Uh, to know if I'm going to get excited or not. Uh, Chris, I think you've got a last uh, movie news item for us. It's yes. also a trailer, I believe. Yes. So the director of Raw, who is French director Julia Durkinau, I think is how you say her name. Not sure. Alan, I've just been butchering foreign names this, yeah, uh, this podcast. So rough. apologize for that. We do our best. Um, but anyways, she has out a new trailer for a film called Titan. I think is how you pronounce it. And there again, you know, pronunciation. But it's kind of crazy because the synopsis for the movie, which Neon's the distributor, they actually didn't give it a synopsis. It's playing at Cannes right now. And the only thing they tell you is basically a definition of what Titan is. 
and it's a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high tensile strength alloys, often used in medical prosthesis due to its pronounced biocompatibility. So basically, and you know, this director deals with like body horror in Raw. It was somebody becoming a vampire and having to eat, you know, <laughs> having to dine on other people. This film, it looks like maybe somebody's been in an accident and they have to have this like frame around their body to keep them so their bones can heal. I'm not sure. Haven't actually seen the trailer. Alan and I are going to uh, watch it and then give our thoughts. All right. So we're going to play the trailer for Titan. And then uh, Chris, this is our first pass with it. And then Chris and I will be here to discuss it right afterwards. So we're back after watching the trailer for Titan and yeah, still have no idea what this film is about, <laughs> but that's cool. I, uh, this is the kind of trailer I like and that gives you a sense of the tone style look of the film without really telling you much of exactly what's going on. I mean, what was a little surprising to me, uh, was it kind of gave me a little bit of a fast and furious vibe. Um, there was a lot of cars, cars, more cars, I people seeming to race. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's yeah. There's it's it looks it looks interesting. Obviously, it hints a little bit at the trailer. There's gonna be some violence and oh. some uh, things going on. Oh yeah. So I'm not sure if it's it, maybe it's about dueling relationships and people that are involved in different relationships. I, who knows? But visually, it looks very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an intriguing trailer. So I mean, <laughs> we'll give it that much. Yeah, you know, we did both like the film role quite yes. a bit. Um, I. Uh, Yes, I'm very excited to see what she does next. It looks like it's a bigger film. Raw was a pretty small, intimate film. Sure. Shot-wise and all. This one looks a lot more expansive and bigger. But again, I still have no idea what's going on. (laughs) And that's good. I like to keep it that way. So this is going to be playing at Cannes on uh, July. In July. Or like premiering in July. So the hope would be is that we would all have a chance to see it. Sometimes, well, and I think I saw an announcement that somebody has already picked it up for um, distribution in England and like Ireland. So then you got to figure, okay, then somebody will pick it up for distribution in America. So I think before year's end, 
we'd probably have a chance to All see right. it. And from the trailer, it looks like maybe something to come along and around like Halloween or something for something scary or like a thriller type yeah, thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I really don't know what the tone of this thing is, which sure. is interesting. So yeah, the mute, they did, you know, it was very kind of somber and then all of a sudden they kind of clicked into a music track that was very opposite of what yeah. you were seeing on screen. Here, so, I mean, Oh, here we go. <laughs> the, the, the whole trailer science behind trailer. They use the song. She's not there. Normally, when that trailer has been used in films in the past, it's kind of giving you a hint that the main character is not actually there. Gotcha. It's more imaginary. I don't. I'm not saying that's where they're going with this film, but it's like when they play that song, it's like, all right. I hope they're not telegraphing anything. Sure. I really don't want that to be any kind of spoiler on stuff. So, gotcha. Um, we'll see. But um, that film, that that song has been used in a few trailers in the past. So, okay. There seem to be like a batch of like songs that like <laughs> these are trailer songs. If you want to throw in a, a a well-known pop culture song, here are the twenty-some songs that you should choose from. For the longest time, it was "Gimme Shelter." You know, it has to be in a Martin Scorsese trailer or whatever. Sure. See, or "Sympathy for the Devil" or something. Yeah. So it, this is now becoming another one. So interesting. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that is uh, talking about uh, Titan. Titan. I'm gonna go with that. They didn't, they, we didn't hear a pronunciation in the trailer, so there actually was yeah. no dialogue in the trailer. So who knows? We're gonna go with Titan. <laughs> sure. Uh, coming out sometime later this year, but premiering at Cannes on uh, in July. Okay. Well, I think that covered all of our news items, Chris. Uh, so a lot of interesting projects still coming down the pike. Uh, I've noticed our news items have kind of gotten escalated a little bit in recent months because people are now starting to kind of get back into production and shooting and releasing more films, which is exciting right now. Absolutely. Speaking of releasing of films, Chris, you and I both like to kind of close the show with a recommendation of a film that we either just recently caught up with or revisited or just want to really throw back out there as a recommendation that we think people ought to check out if they're looking to build their uh, watch list for the coming uh, weekend or any other time. Chris, I'm going to go with you first. What, uh, what film do you have to recommend for us? Um, this time. So I am going to recommend a film from 1976 that I just recently revisited, uh, the film network. It's about a veteran anchorman, Howard Beale, who he's forced to retire because he's, he's been there for 25 years and he's older and they're trying to basically push him out. But then he announces to viewers on air that he's going to kill himself, uh, during his final broadcast. And of course, network executives freak out. And then, decide to like keep them on to try to spike ratings and you know devolves into this interesting pre-look at television before they really do like took a nosedive right into reality TV. <laughs> but it stars, you know, Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Peter Finch, Robert Duvall, just, you know, just it's a really classic film. Um, it also stars uh, Ned Beatty, who just recently uh, mm -hmm. passed away. And he was nominated, I don't know if he won or not, but he was nominated for his performance as an executive who basically reads the riot act in this one speech. He's Arthur Jensen is the part that he plays, but it is, it's, it's amazing. And mm -hmm. uh, Ned Beatty is somebody who you may recognize in smaller roles in different films. And he's only in this for a little bit. Um, but man, does he make his mark. And uh, when I watched it, I kind of reviewed it on Letterboxd and was like, the fact that this film filled with amazing performances remains so relevant today makes me feel like anything less that I give it five stars on Letterboxd seems like disrespectful or blasphemy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I obviously I'm a fan. I had seen it before, but hadn't seen it in a while and mm -hmm. uh, watched it maybe a month or two ago. And then with Ned Beatty's passing, I thought I'd thought I'd recommend it. You've seen Network oh, yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, I think back in 
film classes back uh-huh. in college, I think I actually had I wrote some paper on network. I just was really taken by that film and I saw it back then. Haven't seen it in a while, so it's actually kind of got me now wanting to see it again. But um, uh, no, it's a great one. Very, very good film. Yeah. All right. So that's Network. Uh, How did you see it? Uh, so I actually was able to see it through Hoopla, which is that service oh, no. that your local libraries can let you see. I think you can still rent it on places like iTunes and stuff, sure. but it, it's free on Hoopla if you get that through your local library. Okay. Great. Well, I, Chris, I already told you about my weekend. Busy. Um, busy. And- and painful. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, in general, I just, I find myself having a hard time getting a film recommendation because, you know, I feel like I've recommended most all the films that I have liked in my past, or at least in some point I've recommended them. And, you know, there again, other ones I could recommend are going to be such bigger films that everybody's seen anyway. So I'm not really, it's kind of pointless for me to recommend them. So I do struggle with the recommendation part of our show every time we get together. But there is one thing I have watched in the last week or so based on your recommendation from the last episode, I believe, that I'm I'm going to pull a cheat here and just say I'm re-recommending your recommendation. Okay. Um, you recommended, if I'm correct in saying it was a recommendation on the show, not just casual hallway conversation, <laughs> sure. uh, where you recommended Bo Burnham's Inside yes. on Netflix. Oh, definitely. So I then watched it shortly after you you recommended it, and I've watched parts of it again now. And uh, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, very different, very unique, but really well done. And I have found, uh, unlike In the Heights, where the music was all one symphonic piece that I couldn't really disertain individual songs, and I was okay with that. Sure. Bo Burnham's Inside, they're absolutely songs that I am still uh, kind of finding myself uh, singing uh is it um white woman's instagram white woman's instagram oh yeah <laughs> that's probably my favorite so oh, yeah very very good stuff so yeah it's 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 interesting it's about an hour long it's uh uh very creatively done um i don't want to say comedy piece it's it's a think piece it's a comedy piece it's a interpretation of life during the pandemic. It's just so much interesting going on there. So. It's, yeah. It has comedic aspects, but it's kind of like a monologue performance art, yeah. I guess, kind of type thing. But this oh, is and the other song I like is a uh, FaceTime with my mom. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> FaceTime with my <laughs> That's mom. A good one. So yeah, <laughs> good stuff. I, I just say, yeah, I'm with Chris. Bo Burnham's inside. Absolutely worth checking out. So that's my recommendation. Sorry. I'm not more creative, but again, I'm, limited i will take any uh thumbs up to bo burners inside that i can get so all right well i think that wraps us up for today so again we did reviews of the films in the heights and luca both getting positive reviews from both of us Uh, i was definitely higher on in the heights uh chris was higher on luca but we both came out with positive views of both films for sure Uh, and then we had our news items several things we talked about Michael Keaton as Batman again. We talked about a, a trailer for the film Titan that we know nothing about and we're excited about. Uh, we talked about the film Everest coming out from Doug Lyman like in another year or so with Ian McGregor. Sounds interesting. And Rob Zombie doing the Munsters. So <laughs> a lot of interesting projects we're discussing here and we don't know how they're all going to turn out, but we'll look forward to seeing them in the future. And then our recommendations. Uh, Chris giving the recommendation of the classic film Network. I think 1977? Uh, 76. 76. Thank you. And then I re-recommended Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix. Okay, Chris, uh, if anybody wants to comment, 
respond, engage in conversations, how do they do that? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Uh, I mentioned that Alan and I are also on Letterboxd. We try to track what we're seeing. Sometimes I leave short reviews on there. Alan's already mentioned the Foot Candle Film Festival, September 22nd to the 26th. So I hope you can join us for that, either virtually if you're in North Carolina or maybe in person. I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey, do us a favor, do us a solid, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends, whether it's on iTunes where we can reach new listeners that way or iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Cast. Uh, spread the word. Get us listeners. We always appreciate your support. All right. So that is it for Foot Candle Films. We will look forward to talking with everybody next time we get together with some new reviews and new discussions. Until then, everybody take care and we'll see you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.